Today is the last Sunday of September 2020. Today that signals the upcoming end of what has been a very difficult month. It's been a very difficult month or so when it comes to discovering and having to deal with a number of deaths, number of passing of loved ones. It was early on this month while Karen and I were on vacation that I learned of the August the 28th passing of a dear, sweet, strong, faithful Christian sister in Ohio who has served on more than one occasion as a great source of inspiration and encouragement for Karen and I. It was earlier this month during September that I was also informed of the late August passing of two of the men who were members of the congregation that I previously preached at, one on August the 27th, one on August the 29th, or 30th rather, excuse me. When you add to that, the third man from that congregation who has recently passed, driving home from Missouri eight days ago today, he struck a deer while he's riding on his motorcycle and was killed, 71 years old. When you consider that, and for me personally, all three of those men who were active, engaged, involved members of that congregation when I left there less than two years ago. You can see what I say and you can see why I say what I do about the month of 2020, month of September 2020. But it doesn't stop there. There's several of you. We've seen them in the announcements this morning. It's been known of in, in some circles in the congregation. There's been a number of you that have also suffered losses over the past four or five weeks. September of this month has been a very difficult one in that light. And then, of course, that terribly great loss to us all is our dearly beloved sister, Billy Stafford, passed away last Tuesday. It's been a difficult few weeks. A difficult time which once again brings us to that absolute biblical truth that we sometimes lose sight of. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. This gentleman on the motorcycle, 71 years old, he's ridden all over the country doing veterans events and all of that on his motorcycle, served his country honorably, and he's, he's riding home on a, well, I assume a good day, and, and that deer at that moment, and he's gone. You do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time. A little time. I don't care if you're here today and you're 15. Your life is a very brief moment in the scheme of eternity. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away, James 4 and verse 14. And I want to tell you, everything I just said is why I am so incredibly and eternally grateful and happy, yes, I'm happy this morning. And I am over the top excited 
to be here this morning to celebrate and to thank God for the hope that we have when our time comes. That's why I'm excited this morning. To, to, to celebrate and to thank God for that absolute, rock solid, blessed hope and assurance that we talked about last Sunday's sermon that we have in Christ Jesus. I'm excited about that and I hope you are too. Because our earthly lives are but a vapor. We don't know when they're going to come to an end. What a blessing it is to know the promises and the assurances and the blessings that the faithful have in Christ Jesus. Promises and assurances from our God who cannot lie. It's not only not in his nature. It's not only not like him. He can't do it. So when he says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ. That is rock solid. I need that. What about you? And we can trust him. We can trust those promises and assurances from our God and creator who cannot lie. That when our, yours and my, our brief, vaporous, earthly life suddenly vanishes as well that we too can and will be forever alive and well and with him in a realm where sin cannot touch us. For we know, we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we know that if it's destroyed, we have. Does that sound pretty sure to you? We have, doesn't say we may have, we might have, we should have. It doesn't say that. It says that if this tent, our earthly house, is destroyed, we know we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, this body, this tent, we groan. Have days where you just groan. Life just gets too rough. It's hard. In this tent, we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from above, if indeed having been clothed we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan. We who are in this earthly life, in this body specifically, we groan, the scripture says, being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but because, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We, we don't groan because we necessarily don't want to be here, but because we do necessarily want to be there. Now he, listen to the rest of this text, and yeah, then I'll give you the reference if you don't know what it is. Now he who has, listen to this, he who has prepared us for this very thing. God wants to use your life to prepare you for that moment. God wants to use this earthly life that you're living right now to prepare us for this very passage from this earthly tent to our home eternal in the heavens. That's what the text says, let me continue. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who, didn't stop there, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Listen, God can't lie. When God says something, that locks it up. But God so much wants you to know his truth, that not only has he told it to you, but he has given us a guarantee on top of it. So, because of those things, the text says, so we are always confident 
Knowing that while we are at home in the body, while we're here in this body, we're absent, absent from the Lord in the sense that face-to-face -face encounter with him. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Here's the, here's the next time he's going to use that word. We are confident. Are you confident in the promises of God this morning? Paul says, I am. We are confident. Yes, well-pleased. Rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. I'm here this morning to rejoice. To rejoice, to celebrate, and to give thanks to God that his one and only beloved and begotten son, Jesus Christ, came in the flesh to this earth and through death destroyed him who had the power of death and released us from having to fear death for one more millisecond of our earthly existence. Yes, that's a paraphrase, but the text is Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. I accept, I believe, I count on, I depend on, I have, I have put my life on, on, the promises of Almighty God, which Paul wrote in Romans 5, 1 and 2, where he said this, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He does not say that through Christ you're going to have peace with God. He says that peace with God is something you've already got. At some point in the future, Eric Bond, you're not going to have four daughters. You got them now. At some point in the future, I'm not going to have this blue suit coat. I got it now. At some point in the future, I'm not going to gain peace with God. Romans chapter 5 says, having been justified by faith, we have, present tense, right now, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also, as if that weren't enough, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice. That's what the scripture says, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm here to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God this morning. And, and when Paul says that, he's talking about that one hope. A lot of us hope for different things and, and we understand it's not a, you know, today we have kind of this hope so hope, I, I hope it doesn't rain, I hope it rains, et cetera, et cetera. But, but Paul is talking about that one hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Did you know the scripture says that exact phrase in Titus 1 and verse 2? It is that hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Right there, Paul ties the fact that God, God cannot lie to that hope. This is that one hope. That Paul says that all of those who are faithful in Christ have in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. Now, it's a hope we didn't used to have. It's a hope that, that an expectation, an earnest expectation, a confident expectation that we didn't, we didn't used to have prior to becoming Christians. 
Bible tells us that as well. It says that we were children of wrath, without Christ, having no hope, and without God in the world in Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. But I'll tell you why I'm here to celebrate this morning. Because the very next verse, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I've been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. I have been brought near and given that one hope of eternal life, that confident expectation that if I walk with God, that when my day comes and this vapor stops floating around down here, that I'm going home to be with my Lord. And I am grateful for his grace. It's not because I'm good, it's because he is. And so, no matter how many tears, or troubles, trials, or funerals that we have to face in this lifetime, it is that God-given, rock-solid, absolutely blessed and assured knowledge that carries us through and sustains us, even in the worst of situations, Saying goodbye to loved ones is only one of which. Yeah, I can say that that way. You know what I mean. Turn to me in your Bibles to 1 Peter and check this out. 1 Peter chapter 1, would you please? You see, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter up near the end of his life, and Peter certainly knows a thing or two about the promises of God, about having hope and not having hope. He, he knows about those things. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 something absolutely beautiful about that no-so hope that we have. He calls it a living hope. But look what he says about it. He says, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 3 and reading through verse 9, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I always have to stop there and remind people, listen, some of these folks that believe in other religious leaders, those other religious leaders, decayed bones and body are still where they buried them. But our tomb is empty. That's why we're here to celebrate. We have a living hope because we have a resurrected Savior who is still alive and well. So my hope is living because it is in the living son of the living God where death could not hold him. We have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Had an opportunity yesterday to see a yellow spiritual sword. How many of you have ever seen a yellow spiritual sword? You know the spiritual sword magazines we get? Y'all familiar with those? Right? This means yes, this means no. Stay with me here. Do you know what those are? Yeah, okay. They come out quarterly. One, one, one is green, one is brown, one is blue, one is orange. You ever seen a yellow one? I saw a yellow one yesterday and I was stunned. I thought, that doesn't look right. You know, it'd be like a black wedding dress. It just, it doesn't fit, right? And so I said to the person who had it, I said, where did you get a yellow spiritual sword? Do you know what happened? It had laid there in the desk in front of the windows, on the desk, in front of the windows, and it had, guess what, faded. We have a hope in heaven that God says will never fade away. It is undefiled, it is incorruptible, 
It does not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed in this last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Listen, if you're not here rejoicing in your salvation and the promises of God this morning, why are you here? Why are you here? In this you greatly rejoice. Even, now here comes the, the punchline, or here comes the, the, the if. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're going to have some trouble. You greatly rejoice in what you, you got waiting, reserved for you in heaven, even though right now you're going to have some hard times. But, verse 8, speaking of Jesus Christ, who having not seen, you love. You love him even amidst the hard times. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, here comes my line, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Even during my fiery trials, yes, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That an awesome passage. I mean, I can't point to a Bible passage and say, wow, that really isn't that good. <laughs> but, but that one is an awesome passage. And it is this hope, this same hope from heaven, of heaven, that is for all of those who have faithfully sought to follow the Lord during their earthly existence as well. Please turn with me again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Very familiar. I know we've read it a lot of times. I know it was read just recently. But please turn there. 1 Thessalonians. Maybe some of you can quote it. Please turn there anyway and humor me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because I got something I really want to hit here. Verse 13, Paul says, I, I want you to understand what's going on when you go through these, these difficult times where there seems to be all of this, this death and these, these, these saints that are, that are going home to heaven. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no what? Hope. See, we have this hope, this, this confident assurance and expectation. And he said, I don't want you to be like those that don't have it because you got it. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. There's no doubt about it. There's no might if maybe. He will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. He said, I want you to understand what we're telling you is God's word. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ might, pot no, will, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We shall do this. And thus we, 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 shall, not might, shall, always, not for a little while, always be with the Lord. Now, these are probably some of the most comforting, peace-giving, hope-filled words in all of Scripture especially for those who've gone through the amount of losses 
that some of us have in the last few weeks. But here's what I want you to think about. If those verses are comfortable to us as we see beloved brethren in Christ leave this earthly portion of their life, as we see that, that vapor cease from here, if that's assuring to us, and, and it is, it, it's beautifully assuring, can you think of this? Can you imagine this? How assuring do you think that a passage like this would have been in the first century when our brethren were having to hide the bodies of their fallen brethren from the Romans, burying them in the catacombs beneath Rome, as, as their brethren would not deny the faith and whole congregations were being wiped out in a short period of time by Romans because you could die for being a Christian, how much hope do you think that passage must have had for them? Especially when those who were dealing with the bodies of their departed brethren in the catacombs beneath Rome <coughs> knew that they very well could be next. Tomorrow it might be them. How much peace and comfort do you think these words must have brought them? And that brings me to the point of this morning's sermon. Thank you for sitting through the introduction. That brings me to the point of this morning's sermon. There's a question that I want each one of us to ask ourselves. What if, and I know I don't like what if questions, but we're gonna go with this one. What if I am next? What if I am next? And I don't want you to ask that on my behalf, I want you to ask that on yours. I want you to take your little finger and point it right at yourself. What if you or I am next? Every person in here. What if I am the next one to pass away from this earthly life? You see, that is a question that we as human beings do not like to think about. It is one of the biggest questions that Satan desperately does not want for you to think about. And it is therefore one of the most important questions that we just as desperately need to constantly think about because it's going to happen whether you're 12 or 112 or anywhere in between. If the Lord Jesus Christ does not return, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, while you are alive on this earth, if he does not return with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God within the next 150 years, we'll say, then you, every last one of you, and me, it's not polite to point, my apologies, every one of you and I, we're going to die. There is nothing we can do about it. There is nothing we can do to avoid it. There is nothing we can do to escape it. It is going to happen. 
to you, to me, to every last one of us. One day, you are going to physically, that is, die. You are going to have your spirit depart your body and leave this earth for the spiritual realms. It's going to happen to you. You cannot stop it or prevent it. And so I have a question. A lot of people in this world don't want to deal with even thinking about that. Satan loves it when they won't. Gives him every opportunity and advantage to make sure that their eternity is a terribly fiery train wreck. But here's my question relative to that. Instead of a person making their top priority in this life, either doubting, denying, ignoring, and or living in fear of that inevitable event, doesn't it make a lot more sense to accept, acknowledge, embrace, and make one's top priority in this life instead becoming totally prepared for that which they cannot prevent? Does not that make more sense? Sure it does. Now, please don't mis misunderstand for a moment what I'm saying. I am, uh, please, please understand. Don't misunderstand. I am not saying that a person should not be concerned or should not take whatever preventive measures possible in order to prolong their earthly service to God while they are here. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, you know, don't take whatever preventive measures you have to in order to prolong your vaporous earthly life in service to God. The Apostle Paul took preventive measures on many occasions. Did you know that? Yeah, we always focus on the fact that, that when he was writing to the Philippians from his house arrest, whatever you want to call it, at the hands of Rome, that he said to live as Christ and to die as gain, and that's true. But when he had the opportunity to prevent leaving this earth and, and leaving his service of God behind, when he could prevent it, he, he, took, he took preventive measures at times. We would notice them in Acts chapter 9, verses, I'm not turning there, I'm just giving you references. Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Also in that same chapter, verses 29 and 30. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And Acts chapter 23, 12 through 32. But what I am saying is this. If one chooses to spend their entire brief, vaporous earthly life completely consumed with fear, dread, or denial of that inevitable event, instead of total honest and consistent preparation for that which is going to happen anyway, isn't that an exercise in futility? What if you decided, I'm going to stop the sign. I've got a test tomorrow at school. I've got a dentist appointment tomorrow at school. I've got whatever it is that you don't want to face. And you decide, so I know what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to stop the sun from coming up in the morning. It is inevitable because Psalm 19 tells us that God causes the sun to rise, etc. 
rise in the east and, and make it circle to the west. It's impossible to stop the sun from coming up. You can't do that. It's going to happen. So isn't it smarter? Isn't it better for you? Isn't it better for your peace that instead of saying, I'm going to stop the sun from coming up tomorrow, I ain't dealing with that test. To instead study today and be prepared for that test when it comes, does that not make more sense? So instead of ignoring the inevitable, that appointment that we all have, instead of ignoring the fact that someday we're going to die, how much better it will be, how much sweeter it will be to be instead fully prepared. As I alluded to earlier, each and every one of our souls, every one, each and every one of our spirits is going to have to shed this physical body. You know why? You know the scripture says that, right? Every one of our souls is going to have to leave this body behind. Paul told us that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. He said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot go to the spiritual kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God in the heavens and the presence of God around the throne of God. You can't go there with your body. Can't. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you're going to have, your, your spirit, your soul is going to have to shed this body. It is a separation which we commonly refer to as death, but it is completely unavoidable. It's going to happen. And it doesn't matter if it's cancer, COVID, a car crash, high blood pressure, a heart attack, or any one of thousands of other ways, that, but it's still going to happen. Which brings us back to the question, isn't it far better to be prepared for the inevitable rather than to ignore it or deny it? Because it's still coming. And so how do we do that? How do we make sure that we're prepared? How, how do we do that? Well, first off, by, by hearing, I mean, by hearing the gospel. Because God, and no, this is not the invitation. God, God is the, the creator of life and the sustainer of life. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through him. And so the way that we get prepared, first off, is we hear the gospel of Jesus and we, we believe the gospel of Jesus and we're willing to, to confess him as our Lord and we're willing to repent of our sins and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins and then live faithfully until the day that our departure comes. How do we do that? Well, Peter also told us, turn to me to 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Here's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. 2 Peter chapter 1, here's how we prepare. Here's how we get prepared, stay prepared, be prepared. 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 3. I'll start in verse 2. Peter writes, some of the last words of Peter, and Peter knew a thing or two about whence he wrote. Plus, he was divinely inspired. He didn't make a mistake. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, well, well how, Peter? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Well, so so my everything that I need, he's given me. How do I access it? through gaining in my knowledge of him. That's what it says. By which, that is his glory and virtue, verse four, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. They're all right here in the book. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Wait a minute. God's given me everything I need 
so that I can absolutely be assured of, of eternal life and God, yeah, uh-huh. Well, well, where, well, it's as I gain in my knowledge of him. And, and he's put all of that right here in the book. That's why verse five says, him having given us all this, for this very reason, here's your part, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. I, I wish I had time to go into each one of those, but I don't. But he says, you've got to give all diligence, you've got to throw everything you've got into adding to your faith virtue. You add to your virtue and goodness knowledge. You keep growing in knowledge. And what's that knowledge going to do? Well, that knowledge is going to help you get more self-control. Listen, as you've read the scriptures over the last 10 years, you've been a Christian, we'll say at least that long. As you've read the scriptures over the last 10 years, has your faith increased? Don't say no, because the scripture says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So your faith has increased, right? So you've added to your faith. You've added to your knowledge. Well, during that time, have you become a little more self-controlled, do you think? I mean, honestly, you should have, because as you learn more about God, you tend to control yourself a little more and be more Christ-like. So that's the way that should work, and you keep adding these things to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours, here comes one of those promises, and abound. The English Standard Version says, and are increasing. That's what it means. You're continually growing. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that knowledge again. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. If a person is not willing to continually grow in, in the word, study, learn, get closer to God, follow in Jesus' footsteps, grow stronger every day. Scripture says they've forgotten where they came from. They've forgotten what God's already given to them. Therefore, verse 10, brethren, here he comes, boy, he's going to turn it up a notch. Therefore, brethren, remember he said be diligent, look at this, be even more diligent to make your call and election, don't forget that word, we'll come back to it, sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to know what you need to do in order to be assured? He tells you right here, here's how you can be assured. And, and that word election, I wanted to say this real quick. We've got an election coming up. How many of you didn't know that? We've got an election coming up. And because there's a few people somewhere probably in this country that are running unopposed for something, we'll say that just a little under half of those people who are running for election, they ain't going to make it. Well, you got two people running, how many is going to make it? One. That means that one isn't. We have an election coming up in which about 50% of those who are putting all this time and this money and this effort and, and all of these trips and journeys and speeches, they ain't going to make it. Just the way it is. Now, let me ask you a question. If, you, if every candidate could be assured, absolutely locked down, rock solid assured, of their election, do you think they breathe a little easier right now than maybe some of them are? There's a lot of people 
who want to be part of that elect that we read about in the scriptures. There's a lot of people who would love to make their election sure, just as surely as there's a lot of people that Jesus is going to have to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. If you want to make your calling and election sure, you can know before that event ever occurs. You, you unlike these politicians, you can know your election is sure. He's told you how to do it right here in this chapter. We just read it. He said, you do this, your election is guaranteed. We know we can never stop, therefore, learning, growing, and doing the will of the Lord. I know that I want always to continually keep growing in these graces right here and making my calling and election sure because for the faithful child of God who's done these things, the scripture says, again, as Steve alluded to, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. The day I was born, I came into this world. The day I die, I intend to be in a whole lot better one. And I can make it sure right here what the book says, isn't it? Ecclesiastes 7.1, if you're looking for that passage. And yes, and I gotta say this, I will not ask you to do anything that I will not do. And yes, I have indeed thought about my own departure from this planet. I have indeed thought about my own memorial service, and I say this almost with a smile, and it's not a smile of sarcasm, it's only a smile of joy thinking of being with the Lord and kind of what I'm about to tell you. I am not sure when my turn comes, this is gonna be on tape and on the internet, and do we still have tape? This is gonna be public knowledge. I am not sure that when my day comes to shed this body and depart this earth, no matter how that happens, to go be with the Lord that I want a standard memorial service. I'm not sure I do. <laughs> I once told Karen many years ago, I said, when that day comes, I want, I want a party. I want party hats and I want, you know, streamers. I want a celebration. You know why I want a celebration? Now, I'll get to that in a minute, but I, I've toned that down a little because I'm not sure how well accepted and some people might think that's irreverent, so probably not quite to that extent, but I do know this. One thing I, I know that I want, and who knows, I could leave this earth tomorrow in a car accident. Some of you hearing this may never hear my voice again. But if my memorial service is next week in this building, I'll tell you what I want. I want singing, and I want rejoicing, and I don't want one tear of anything but joy shed, not one. Do you know why? I will tell you why. Because by the grace of God and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and that alone, I will have finally reached that which I have hoped for and dreamed of and worked for and served for and believed in and sought after and desired and wanted for the vast majority of my adult life. Do not be sad for me. I'll have made it. Isn't that the, is that the hope we have in Christ or not? Is it? Do you have that hope? Oh, no. 
If you're going to cry any sad tears, just cry them because I beat you there. My Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, despite my sins and my shortcomings and my faults, made me promises that he will not back down from. As long as I am faithful and try my best to do everything I learn in this book as I learn and grow daily. And ain't nobody can take those promises away. And I'm counting on them. I, like Paul, am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8, verses 37 and 8. 38 and 39, my bad. We have an awesome God. You see, it is only and truly in Christ, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1.7. It is additionally in him that we have obtained, past tense, we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1 and verse 11. In him we have redemption, we have forgiveness, we have assurance, we have the promises. We have the blood and the grace and the mercy. It's all in Christ. We have an inheritance. And so, I've spent the vast majority, just as many of you have. Many of you have spent a lot longer doing it than I have, but I've spent the vast majority of my adult life and I plan to spend the rest of it until my departure from this earth comes, be it this week or 100 years from now, doing one thing. No matter when or how that event happens, I have spent the vast majority of my adult life in seeking, in seeking to, Philippians 3, 8 through 11, gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God, not from me, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. I can't know him if I don't spend all the time I possibly can with him through his word, through prayer. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What do you think Paul was talking about when he said, I want to know the power of his resurrection? What do you think he meant? He meant, I'm living a resurrected life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he also, I have to believe, meant the power of his resurrection. I want to go through that same resurrection. I, because he lives, I want to live also and I will that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Yes, there's going to be difficult times. Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, that is what my adult life and many of you for a lot longer has been devoted to. And brethren, I got to tell you, God's going to keep his word. 
God's going to keep his word. What about you this morning? What's your life's focus? Are you spending any portion of this, your brief, vaporous, momentary, earthly life in fear or dread, ignorance of maybe or denial of the inevitable? It's going to happen. You know what? I'll tell you how good our God is. God sent his son so you wouldn't have to live like that. Did you know that? God sent his son so you wouldn't have to go through that. God sent his son to die so that you could live. So that you could live knowing that your sins had been forgiven, Romans 8.1 and knowing that your sins had been forgiven so that you could become completely consumed with learning, planning, and preparing for your inevitable earthly departure to meet with him. God gave his son so that you could live with the freedom to get closer to him, no sin in between you, so that when that day does come, you can be totally prepared, comfortable with, and fearless of it. Brethren, are you this morning or not? If you are not, and you need the prayers of the church to better imprint on your hard drive the assurance and everything I've talked about this morning, we'll pray for you, we'll study with you, we'll love on you, but do whatever it takes to help you have that absolute confident assurance and understanding of everything we've spoken about this morning. And if you're here this morning and you're not somebody who has become a child of God through the one and only way, it's the biblical way, it's the one and only way by hearing about Jesus and truly believing the message that's in these pages and being willing therefore to repent and turn to God to confess Jesus as Lord and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, to have your slate wiped clean so that you can know and be free from that burden of all that sin and, and having to worry about that sin condemning you on judgment day and, and, and you can leave all of that behind in the waters of Christian baptism and then you'll be free. What did Jesus say? You shall know the truth, the truth shall set you what? Free. So you can be free to learn and study and grow closer to God. So that, so that when your vaporous earthly life is over, you don't need to fear, you don't need to dread, you only need to trust and to rest in the promises of God. If you have a need this morning, please come to the front while we stand and sing.